Do you pray with me? Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and redeemer. Amen. This was not my first profession going into ministry. I actually started out after college being a teacher, as many of you know. And so whenever I come across scripture verses that I've got to preach or teach on, my mind automatically goes to historical figures to connect them to. It's just how I'm hardwired. And that's one thing I liked about American history. It's all about stories. It's the story of our families and how they got us to where we are today. And it's the same thing with the Bible. It's stories of our ancestors, of our faith, and how we are where we are today. And so as I was reading through that chapter 5 and the verses there, I was thinking of people who were bold in history. And the list is long. You have our founding fathers standing up to a royal government that was suppressing them. You have people during the abolition time period standing up against the evils of slavery. You have those who went off to the world wars to keep our country safe. But there is one story in history that I thought about that might be unique to tie into it. Got Andy a little nervous, he told me, at the 8.30 service. And you'll see why. The story that comes to mind is the story of the Scopes trial, if y'all remember what that is. It's a trial that took place in the 1920s. The 20s was an interesting decade for our country. We were going through a lot of changes. You had prohibition. You had women with the right to vote. We were being isolationists. We had just fought a world war and we wanted to come back home, protect our men and grow our country. It was the jazz age. All the wonderful music that came out, labor unions getting strength. And then in Tennessee, in 1925, in Dayton County, you had a science teacher with a dilemma. You see, in 1925, the state of Tennessee passed a law saying that it would be illegal to teach evolution in a science classroom. It's kind of backwards today, in a sense creationism, they were holding on to that that's talked about in Genesis. You had a, in the 20s, a conflict between religion and science. And so a 24-year-old teacher by the name of John Scopes, with the assistance of, yes, the ACLU, decided to challenge that law and teach evolution in his science classroom. Being America, he knew if he did that, he could bring it to the courts. And it can be a basically a theater for everyone to see in the summer of 1925. And so he taught, of course, evolution, was arrested, and brought to trial. The attorneys that came to this case were well known. The attorneys were all wanting this case for name recognition. The professional reputation would be on the lines. And so for the teacher, you had an attorney that represented labor unions called Clarence Darrow. And then for the state, you had William Jennings Bryan. And as I always told my students, he was the professional loser of of presidential elections. He ran three times and lost three times, okay? But now he's trying this case. And you see, the reason why I bring this up is to not highlight the conflict of evolution and creationism. It's to highlight the courage and the boldness these people had in the 1920s. They put all of their professional careers on the line for what they believed in. They had that boldness. The case played out in the summer, and they actually had to move the case outside because it was too hot in the courtroom. They didn't have air conditioning. And so they finished it up, and at the end of the day, 
John Scopes was found guilty. He was fined $100, served some time in jail, and then released. William Jennings Bryan and Clarence Darrow, they got their name recognition and their careers were highlighted, of course. And evolution stayed out of the science textbooks for over 40 years in the state of Tennessee. But the thing I really want you to remember from this story, and as I said earlier, was the courage and boldness the people in that scenario and that opportunity played. And that goes the same for Peter and the apostles. See, they were arrested because they continued to publicly declare the resurrection of Jesus and the implications of their world of that and for the Jews. Cease and desist orders had been issued, but the apostles didn't stop. They multiplied their witness, healing and proclaiming the resurrection to hundreds and thousands. That is why... When we read, their case got bumped up to the high courts and high priests in Jerusalem. The council threatened serious punishments, but Peter was insistent. The gospel will not be stopped. And the apostles will not stop proclaiming it. As it says in verse 29 of Acts chapter 5, it says, We must obey God rather than any human authority. They firmly believed in the resurrected Christ and what he called us to do, despite the repercussions their current world would put on them. So fast forward a few thousand years, and what does that mean to us Christians? Well, let me tell you a little statistic that I heard at a leadership council meeting here at the church that just stuck with me. Did you know right now that 56% of South Mazacanians are not in church or in a church? 56%. We are a minority in our very own backyard. Let that sink in. What's going on, guys? I know there are people out there searching for answers, struggling with issues. We all do that. So who or what are they turning to, this 56%? You know, when I read stories and watch things about the current presidential race, what I see is a country full of broken people looking for hope, change, and to be made great again. But when we turn to politicians to fix our problems, we're just grabbing at straws. What needs to be proclaimed is that the only thing that can fix our brokenness is the life-saving love of Jesus Christ. You know, I once heard Christians of today described like this. Imagine we're on a football team. You guys are the players. The clergy here, we're the coaches that call the plays. I know it. Okay. Hugh Freeze, right? Yeah, okay. And we all gather together to hear the play. The preacher preaches, we take that play, and we hit the field. The crowd, the world is watching and cheering on to watch something phenomenal. So as we take that play, and we go to our cars, and get onto the field, and ready to execute that play... We leave, we go home, and we walk off the field and sit on the bench. And we act like the play was never called, that nothing never happened. Monday comes, and we all act exactly the same. The crowd that was watching us, the 56% that's watching us say, there's nothing special with that. It's not any different than what we're doing. 
And so, what's chaining us to these pews, church? What's chaining us? Is it our fear? Is it our doubt? You know, the gospel lesson is about the disciple Thomas. He's mentioned a few times in the Bible, but the thing that gets connected to him is his doubt. And we call him Doubting Thomas. And you know, at some point or other in our lives, we're all a Doubting Thomas. I know I've been. We feel like we have to touch the wounds of Christ to really believe. Sometimes we forget, though. When we're in the darkness of our lives, we forget what Christ showed us when we were in the light. And I have to remind myself that from time or two. Today, we are going to confirm nine people into our church and baptize five. That's awesome. Our church is growing today, guys. And it's something to celebrate. These youth right here before you are going to do something pretty special in just a moment. And you guys all have a part in it. And every time that we had our confirmation classes, I would like to remind them that this confirmation process doesn't end today. Guys, it's a continuation of a journey that will last the entirety of your lives. And in your life, you will have mountaintop highs like today. And then and later on, you'll have valley lows. But I challenge you to hold on to the truth of Christ, to your faithfulness, and be bold in those times. Because, church, if we all suppress that boldness the apostles had and those attorneys and John Scopes had in the 1920s, then who's going to proclaim the gospel to those around us? Who? We are the best that our God has. We are the best, whether you believe it or not. We are called to go and make disciples of this world. Use the gifts and talents that he has given us to show love to our neighbors. Because the rest of the world's salvation depends on us doing that. So church family, today I encourage you to break the chains that are keeping you in your seats. I challenge you to rise up when you leave here. Find the boldness to share the life-changing love of Christ to our neighbors in the world. Amen.